Welcome back to the island. We got a good episode coming your way, so make sure to keep it locked. On this episode, Bilal and I were joined by co-host of The Scoop on the U, Ross, as we will recap the NFL draft as well as discuss this year's quarterback class and if we think where they landed is a good fit or not. We will also discuss other draft steals, reaches, and late round hits. We will also talk about the latest on the Aaron Rodgers drama in Green Bay. And later on in the episode, Bilal and I will get to the latest on the NBA season. Will the Lakers and Celtics drop to the play-in tournament? Only time will tell. So make sure to keep it locked and also make sure to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter for more sports news and analysis. The NFL draft is in the books and we got a lot of draft talk coming your way along with the latest news on the Aaron Rodgers saga. We got the latest on that. We'll talk about that as well. And later on in this episode, we'll get to some NBA discussions as well as the regular season begins to wrap up. Jay Sahota alongside Bilal Lahi. Welcome back to another episode of Baller Island. And we will be joined just shortly by a guest coming on to talk about the NFL draft and we'll get that going in just a little bit once he gets on but be any first thoughts man we got a lot to talk about today this nfl draft one of the most hard drafts i can remember no for real and i'm really excited to get started here and talk more about this draft and and dive into that and it really was truly a really intriguing draft and now we will welcome in our guest for today's episode his name is Ross. He is joining us from Alaska, and he is the co-host on The Scoop on the U. If you're a Miami Hurricane football fan or even just a college football fan in general, definitely go and check them out. Give them a subscribe on YouTube. Ross, you're our first guest on the island. We're stoked to have you. What's going on, my man? Uh, man, just thank you guys for uh, giving me the opportunity to jump on your podcast, and I'm just really looking forward to talking about some NFL draft news with you guys. Absolutely, my guy. We got a lot to get to. B and I are definitely really hyped to get started and talking about the draft. And there is so much to kind of get to and recap. And I guess we'll start with the quarterback class. And, you know, this was a really great quarterback class coming in. And there are some other guys that were drafted later in the round that I want to get to as well. But I think you know, we'll start off with the obvious five. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. And I kind of want to get the conversation started here of, out of those five quarterbacks, which ones do you think landed in the best situation in terms of where they ended up? You know, is it where you thought they were going to end up? Are there any surprises that you thought? I kind of want to get your take on that. And then, B, you can go ahead with your take after that. Uh, you know, I, I got to say, I mean, just right off the jump, I think the Trey Lance pick to the Niners was fantastic. His upside mixed with Shanahan's ability to be the quarterback guru that we know him to be. I mean, that that that's just screams success in my opinion. I know Trey Lance wasn't a guy with a ton of film, but the film that he did did show, it showed a guy that is fully capable of playing in the NFL. Um, I, and I got to say, too, I really like the, the Bears moving up to get Justin Fields. Um, I'm you know, the Bears have had a lot of issues on offense. You know, that's just plain and simple. That That's nothing that's that's new news to anybody else. But to for them to take that initiative and to move up, to grab a dual-threat quarterback, to add to, to their offense and trying to bring their offense kind of into the newer era, I, I think that was just a fantastic move for the Bears all around. Yeah, I, I got to agree with those two, actually, as my top ones. Obviously, I'm going to throw in Mac Joe. I think, honestly, all five ended up in pretty good situations. But me and Jay were big, pretty high on Justin Fields. And I'm being a Patriots fan, and I thought he was going to slide to us at, at 15. And to have him taken just like that, it, it kind of hurt. But I'm okay with Mac Jones. I think all five landed in good spots, like you said. And I'm pumped to see Justin Fields. I think he can be finally the quarterback Chicago's going for. Yeah, I think you both were bang on with that. I think for me, I totally with the Trey Lance pick. I was hoping for either him or Justin Fields. I think you were definitely bang on with how I think, and I was saying this just before we got on as well, that I think even worst case scenario, Trey Lance doesn't turn into, you know, the next Patrick Mahomes, 
But I think just because of how good Kyle Shanahan's system is and how good the 49ers supporting cast is, Trey Lance is going to be successful. When you look at that, at that supporting cast, the coach you are there with, and the skill set Trey Lance brings to the table, I'm really excited about it. I can't wait to see what Kyle Shanahan does with Trey Lance in San Francisco. As a Niner fan myself, I'm just absolutely stoked. But I also think that all five of these guys landed in good situations. Mac Jones in New England. I think Belichick and Josh McDaniels needed that young guy. Kind of fits the Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo kind of feel to it. So I, I think they went in the right direction there. That's a good place for Mac Jones having played under Nick Saban as well. Justin Fields at Chicago. I oddly kind of like that. Chicago's got a good defense. They have some pieces with Allen Robinson and David Montgomery. I think Justin Fields are starting by week four at the earliest for Chicago. I like, obviously, Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Got a lot of good young pieces. And then the Jets with Zach Wilson, I think, obviously, with a lot of their coaching staff coming from the 49ers regime. I'm really excited to see what Zach Wilson does with the New York Jets as well. So, obviously, going through all five of those, which one do you think is going to be the best and the worst out of this quarterback class? Um, wow, that's a that's a fantastic question. Um, you know, I, I I don't like to just take, of course, the easy answer right away, but I got to go with Trevor Lawrence for the simple fact that I'm a Miami Hurricanes fan and I watched that guy year in, year out, and I watched his capabilities at Clemson mixed in with a coach like Urban Meyer and some of the weapons they're adding. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have nothing but success in the NFL. My biggest concern, honestly, is Zach Wilson for the Jets. While I love his upside and his upside is very evident, we are looking at a boomer bust scenario for a team that has had very, very, very poor six or not even success, but, but, but poor choices at quarterback and just poor development overall for the longest. I mean, it's been we're talking about decades possibly now. So uh, to, for him leaving a place like BYU to head to New York, I mean, that, that's, that's a pretty big step. I mean, Zach Wilson seems to be the type of guy that can handle that kind of pressure and doesn't seem to, to run from it or hide from it. But that's a big step to be going into that situation. And Jets fans are so, so hungry and so desperate for a quarterback to finally emerge and become that piece that they've needed for so, so long. Now that he's got this new staff, everything's kind of riding on this move. I mean, they, they, they put their eggs in that, that Zach Wilson basket, and the Jets really need this pick to work out. It'll be big for Robert Saleh being a new head coach if he can nail that right off the bat. I think that Zach Wilson was definitely my biggest question mark. I think that I compared him to Sam Darnold a lot because they kind of gave me the same vibes coming out of college. Both can make plays on their feet as well throw on the run kind of like that. And I saw what they did with Sam Darnold, and I don't have hope. I don't think when we're talking about situations, I think the Jets obviously, to me, have the worst situation for a quarterback to land in. And, like, this is exactly what you said, the perfect <laughs> boom or bust guy for the Jets. He can be really special. He could be the next Mahomes. But, hey, New York needs a, needs a, a big-time player there. Yeah, you both were, were pretty bang on with that. New York is, uh, I mean, the, the New York media is uh, definitely another beast in itself. And Zach Wilson, you know, gets the, the torch passed on to him from Sam Darnold. And I, I, again, I said this on last week's episode too. I really like Sam Darnold in Carolina. I think it's a nice new, a new environment for Sam Darnold to go into with a lot of nice weapons in Carolina. But as for Zach Wilson, yeah, it's it's a rebuilding process. And of course, as a Niner fan, you know, I'm really happy for Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur. I think they're going to do great things with the Jets. And I think Zach Wilson is going into a good system too. But obviously, it's a rebuilding year for the Jets. They don't have a lot of talent on offense. And it's going to be a process. And we'll see where, the, where that goes for the Jets. And I hope Zach Wilson does well. But it is definitely a tall task. And I think when you look at all five, Zach Wilson definitely has the toughest environment in year one considering he doesn't have the talent that some of the other guys may have and in terms of the best quarterback coming out of this class I I do agree I don't like to be the guy that says you know the obvious pick which is Trevor Lawrence the guy is just incredible but honestly I think Justin Fields is gonna succeed in Chicago and and we'll talk a little bit about the NFC North in just a little bit as well but I really do feel like Justin Fields is the right guy and that's the question we talked about the Jets haven't been able to find a quarterback. The Chicago Bears haven't been able to find a quarterback in like ever. 
they haven't had a franchise quarterback. So this is a really big deal for the Chicago Bears. So I am excited to see what Justin Fields does. But that was the quarterback class part of it. Of course, there was a lot of other great players that got selected in this draft. Ross, who were some other guys in the first round that you think were great picks for some of these other teams outside of the quarterback position? Well, I got to say, I mean, the the Detroit Lions sitting there, uh, Panay Suel at number seven, I'm sure they were just smiling ear to ear when he fell to them. I mean, that, that's sure. just a, that's a great pickup for a team that's really trying to to, to really start something new again. Um, gosh, there was just, there's so many good picks there. I, I Even though the Cowboys might not have necessarily needed to go head first into linebacker right away, in my opinions, Micah Parsons is just a special player, in my opinion, and I totally understand why they took that chance. The Cincinnati Bengals, to me, made a really, really important move by adding Jamar Chase. Um, that, that combination with Joe Burrow, giving them that extra weapon now to go along with already a solid wide receiver core in T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. That really sets things up really well for Joe Burrow in the future. And I like that they addressed the offensive line, you know, you know, right after that. Um, I got to say that one of the picks that really stood out to me that I, I, I truly, truly, truly like a lot. And it's a pick that's not being talked about as much is the first round pick by the green Bay Packers, Eric Stokes out of Georgia. I absolutely love the upside that he offers in the NFL as a cornerback. That kind of speed, that kind of um, consistency as a pass in, in pass coverage is something that's always valued in the NFL. And to get him at number 29, I, I felt like that was a really good pick for them. Wow. Okay. So I, I, I actually think the one disagreement I have with you is I thought Cincinnati should have gone with Panay Sewell because the way I saw Joe Burrow running up, Last year, didn't look good. And to me, if you can't, you can't get the ball to a receiver if you're running around like that. Other, than that, uh, Detroit, man, I, there was rumors about Detroit trading back, but to get what some people call a, a once in a lifetime left, uh, once in a lifetime tackle, just to fall to you at seven, looks great. And I've heard a lot about Eric Stokes. I heard that he's got some burners on him. I heard he's fast, he's physical, and. Green Bay, from what I saw last year, they need some cornerback help. And I know it's going to rub Aaron Rodgers the wrong way, but, hey, you drafted Jordan Love, and, yeah, I think it's time to move on from Aaron Rodgers. You're already, you're already in, in stock, and, and he's just making it come closer to you. Yeah, you're, you're bang on with that, and we'll, and we'll talk about Rodgers in, in just a little bit. But um, to go back to Eric Stokes, I honestly did not know much about him. But from what I'm hearing from you guys, I think this was a good pick. If you all are, are pretty high on Eric Stokes, I think that's a good pick for Green Bay because Kevin King got his ass beat. He took social distancing to a whole other level in that NFC Championship game last year. So they need a corner to put aside Jair Alexander. So I think that that is a good move if um, Eric Stokes ends up panning out to be a good player. But as for some of those early picks, Jamar Chase... Yeah, I think to add to an offense with Joe Burrow, who looked really good in the time that he was healthy, is not a bad pick. But I'm I'm in agreement with B in the in the scenario where you got a young quarterback. I think going offensive line would have been the more beneficial pick. But the Lions getting Sewell, I mean, with a new regime there, that's a good way to start it. That's a good draft pick when you're getting an offensive lineman with that kind of talent that Panay Sewell has. So I really like that. But I do think. Joe Burrow could have used him a little bit more than Jared Goff could have. But I like that pick there, too. I, I like both of them as well. So it is, um, you know, definitely some interesting picks there. Were there any first-round reaches in any of your guys' opinion? Yeah, you know, I, I saw a couple reaches. You know, there was nothing that really, you know, completely shocked me. I guess I could say for the uh, the Arizona Cardinals taking Zayvon Collins at 16 was a little bit of a reach for me. Um. I understand the physical upside and, and I get why they had their eyes on him. But to me, that pick just didn't make a whole lot of sense right there. Um, the one thing I do want to say before we move on to anything else, though, in, in this last subject we had, and I didn't get a chance to bring it up, was Gregory Rousseau falling to the Bills that late in the first round was absolute supreme value. And I don't want to let that get passed on before we move on with the uh, with the reaches here. But, um, yeah, Zayvon Collins, to me, just, just really felt like a reach and just an unneeded move by the Cardinals in general. I got, I got a question for you. I don't know too much about 
Elijah Vera Tucker. And um, I, from the mock drafts I saw that he was going a little bit later than the Jets picking him at 14. And they made a trade up to get him. You think that was a reach or you think that was the right move? A versatility in the NFL right now is such a huge key. And to add versatility on the offensive line to a young team with a young quarterback makes a ton of sense to me. He might not have been as high on others' draft boards at that kind of a pick, but I don't felt like it was too bad of a reach. I feel like that pick will actually work out really well for them in the long run. That's great. And uh, obviously I think the Raiders were made a questionable move. They always seem to pick these guys that – Nobody really expects to go that high. So Alex Leatherwood, I mean, he's from Alabama, and I, I always have this thing where people from these prestigious programs like Alabama, you can't really go wrong with them because there's not, it's an easier transition, right? You play under Saban. You kinda, you're playing against pros pretty much every day, but I know this pick got a lot of flack, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one. I, You know, it's another one of those picks that – I, I understand the need for it. It's just another one where 17 was just too early to, to make it happen, especially considering what they did with the rest of their draft that was just so odd. I mean, you know, I, if Leatherwood would have been their first-round pick and they would have made some other moves after that in the second, third round that would have kind of fit that uh, fit that vibe or whatever you want to call it, it would have made a lot more sense to take Dickerson that early – or Dickerson that early – excuse me, Leatherwood that early. My bad. But to, to see them take a guy like that at what was it 17th overall, I believe. Yeah. And then to and then to follow it up with the type of draft they had after that. I mean, just talk about a swing and a miss top to bottom for the Oakland Raiders. Typical. I mean, it, it seems like for the last ever since John Gruden took over as the Raiders coach <coughs> and Mayock, Mike Mayock joined him. It just seems like the Raiders miss every year. And I'm not surprised that they were the ones to to go and take Alex Leatherwood in the first round. And now I think going O-line wasn't a bad move. They desperately need offensive line because they shredded an already good offensive line that they had. They just shredded it to pieces. But um, I, I like the fact that they went offensive line, but not a guy who was mocked to go in the second round. You take him at 17. I'm totally with you guys on that. As for Vera Tucker, I'm with you, on, I'm with you Ross, on that one. I think versatility is a big deal to get a guy that can play various positions on the offensive line, especially for a team that is in a rebuild mode like the Jets are with the new regime coming in. I like the pick there. And sometimes if you got to move up to get your guy, you got to move up to get your guy. So I'm with that as well. Um, I, I agree with the Cardinals one too. Zayvon Collins, I did not know anything about. And I was like, oh, okay, they're going to go in that direction. But, you know, we'll see how, how some of those pan out. But, you know, it, the first round, I think, overall was pretty good. And before we continue, I do want to go back to Rose, uh, Russo to Buffalo, like you said, and I also want to mention Jalen Phillips since you're a Miami Hurricane guy. How do you think those two will do in Miami and Buffalo? Fantastic landing spots for both of them. Um, the the one great thing about uh, Phillips going to Miami is the familiarity. And also not just, we're talking about, not just on the field, you know, type of move that, that made sense, but off the field as well. He's a Miami Hurricane he has a well-established fan base in that city already. So from a marketing standpoint, it makes a ton of sense for that move on top of what it adds to them on the field. Jalen Phillips is the most NFL-ready defensive end pass rusher in this in that draft, I felt. And, and to me, it was kind of almost no question. He, he was really that that guy. Rousseau falling to the Bills, like I said, the, NF, or the, the GM and the coach of the Bills had to be smiling ear to ear every time they saw Rousseau fall, pick after pick after pick. To add a guy like him with such a unique body type, with such unique traits, that late in the first round, which gives them that extra year of club control on him, I mean, you just can't ask for a better pick late in the first round. And at a such a valued spot, which is pass rusher. Now, I understand why Rousseau might have fallen a little bit. The question was, does he belong on the inside? Does he belong on the outside? At six foot seven, and he's gained this new weight, this new weight that he put on. He doesn't have any game film for it. All he has is his pro day at Miami. So the Bills had to kind of base it just off of that. Rousseau sat out. He opted out this last season. So they had to base it off of his freshman year and then off of just that pro day where his body type was, was a whole lot different. But at the same time, 
The upside is so evident, and the pick was just fantastic. And I think the Bills in general are a great spot for Russo. Definitely. I, I, uh, go ahead, B. Yeah, no, he completely sold me on that pick. I didn't know too much about him, but 6'7". And if you're getting game, game tape from a freshman, I mean, there's a lot that happens after your freshman year. But to me, Miami was one of my, my winners of the draft. They got Jalen Phillips, like you said, and I really like Jalen Waddle going there. I think that super dynamic and, and that offense needed a spark on it. And even in later rounds when they got Javion Hall and Liam Etchenberg, that's basically four guys that are first round graded and they got four of them. So I think Miami's definitely one of my winners. No, I, I'm definitely agree with, with that. I think the Dolphins did a nice job and I, I heard a lot of stuff about beforehand i think the dolphins is a great destination for him of course there's the familiarity familiarity of staying in miami as well and then rousseau going to buffalo i love it i mean flores and mcdermott are both defensive guys um, rousseau going to buffalo where they have an unbelievable defense and same with miami they have a great up-and-coming defense too i think it's a great fit for both of them as well but before we move on to aaron Rodgers, i want to get some stuff because i don't know too much outside of the first round but, Ross, who are some guys in some of the later rounds that were taken that you think could end up bursting onto the scene throughout this season? Well, you know, when, when I look at late-round picks, I, I usually like to, you know, look at his fourth round and later. You know, there's, a, there's definitely a couple third-round guys that fell that I would like to address as well. Um, Ronnie Perkins to the, the Patriots was an absolute yeah. steal, in my opinion. Um, Jay, yeah, um, uh, another player, um, Elijah Molden from University of Washington, falling to the third round. I think just a fantastic slot cornerback prospect for the NFL. I think that was a home run home run hit as well. A couple of the late picks that I really liked, I like uh, Kylan Hill, the running back for the Packers. I like Ramondre Stevenson, the running back that the Bucks got. Uh, the Bucks also got a wide receiver from UCF named Trey Nixon that I'm high on. Uh, let's see here, the Jags. Uh, they got uh, Jay Tufele in the fourth round, I believe. Uh, Broncos got themselves a really solid wide receiver, Seth Williams, in the later rounds. Uh, Jonathan Cooper for the Broncos is a really solid defensive end. I, I thought that was a great pick for them. Uh, the Steelers got, in my you know, maybe I'm a homer on this one because I'm a Miami fan, but getting a uh, defensive end out, outside linebacker prospect, Quincy Roche, in the sixth round, I think was a fantastic pick because of what he offers as a pass rusher. And even if he's just solely – a, uh, a guy that comes in for pass rush duties, taking him in that kind of a round was fantastic. One, one pick that I really, really liked later on that turned out today to be, to be just a shame is Rashard Weaver to the Titans, and he ended up getting in some legal trouble recently. I really liked him on the edge as, as a strength pass rusher for the Titans as something that they really needed. Uh, it's just a shame that he's, he's going through this, uh, the legal issues he's got right now. Uh, there's another a big, a couple big home run uh, hits here too for the Panthers, in my opinion. Defensive tackle Davion Nixon out of Iowa, and cornerback Keith Taylor or Keith Taylor out of University of Washington. Two very high upside guys that both showed they have NFL type ability. And then the Panthers followed up with what I thought was a great offensive line pick late uh, later in the draft with the uh, offensive guard Deontay Brown. Adding that kind of size late in the draft is fantastic, and it's actually something the Seahawks did too with their late offensive tackle pick, Forsyth, out of the uh, Florida Gators, who many felt should have gone a couple rounds earlier than that. So to be able to add possible starting offensive linemen that late in the draft is just a fantastic move for any team. Wow, I, I definitely got to keep track of those names that you just named because, wow, that's a lot of men. Um, but I have this one question for you. And, there was a report the other day that said how Minnesota was prepared to take Justin Fields if he fell to them. So, meaning they were in the market for a quarterback, and they seem to have passed on – well, they obviously passed on Mac Jones, but then they took Kellen Mond in the second round, and I want to get your opinion on him because I don't know too much about these quarterbacks that went in the second round. Him, Kyle Trask, a bunch of these guys. So what, what is your take on some of these second-round quarterbacks? Uh, you know, Kellen Mond's interesting. There's a, there's a lot of similarities between him and Dak Prescott that really stand out when you watch tape. It's it's kind of evident that they they do play similar similar styles of football. I I'm not the <laughs> I'm not thinking that a second round pick for him was the wisest move in my opinion. While they still have Kirk Cousins on board, I understand that the the future needs to be addressed at that position. But 
I just don't think Mond is a is, is going to be much of an NFL prospect. I just don't see him being anything more than possibly a capable backup. And there's value in that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, finding a capable backup is important. But the second round isn't where you want to do that. Um, Kyle Trask, to me, kind of another odd one. I, I didn't see him as, as an as a NFL prospect that early. I, I just didn't see it. I, I see some of the upside and some of the reasons why they might have liked him at that pick. But uh, to me, it was just it was just too early for him as well. I, I feel like there was better value. I feel like uh, a guy like Davis Mills that fell to the third round, I honestly think he has a higher NFL future than uh, these guys that went in the second round. I'd have gladly taken Davis Mills over them. And to me, it's a shame that he ended up on such a dysfunctional franchise, the uh, Houston Texans, because – you know, hopefully this new staff can get things together. But uh, I'd, I'd have gladly taken a shot on Davis Mills over Trask and uh, Mond. That's a, I, those are definitely a lot of names that I got to keep track of too. And for some of those quarterbacks, um, I mean, yeah, I think Trask definitely went a little early. But now he gets to be in a quarterback room with Tom Brady, which I think is always a plus. Um, Davis Mills, I totally agree. Houston is an absolute disaster. So I feel bad for the kid. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how some of these guys go. And Kellen Mond, I thought, was a really interesting thing. And then to, to have the rumor come out with Justin Fields possibly going to Minnesota. So they passed on Justin Fields. And now you got to face him twice a year in your division? Oh, Lord. That, that sucks for the Vikings. And, and before I get to Rodgers, I also had a quick question, too. Um, the Niners took Aaron Banks, offensive lineman, in the second round. The guy looks like an absolute beast. I just wanted to know if you knew much about him and what your take on Aaron Banks is from Notre Dame. A guy who came from a fantastic offensive line system that has been coached by one of the best offensive line coaches in the NCAA. Um, that guy just continually pumps out NFL talent. We saw it this year in the draft. Notre Dame was popping offensive linemen into to what felt like the every round for the first, first, second, third, fourth round, it felt like. Um, you guys got yourself a very, very, very well-rounded, very smart, very technical, technically advanced offensive lineman for coming out of the draft. Uh, usually you don't get guys that are quite as NFL ready, especially in the offensive line coming out of the NFL. Usually there's a learning curve and there's a lot of things that have to happen before you really see their talent. I think Banks is going to be a guy that's a plug and play guy and you'll see him start week one, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I've been. I've heard nothing but great things about him, too. And the guy is an absolute tank. So I can't wait to see him in Shanahan's system. Um, but yeah, no, for Notre Dame, they've definitely been pounding out offensive linemen the past year, producing Quentin Nelson. My guy, Mike McGlinchey, I know heavily recruited Aaron Banks. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what he does in our offensive line. But I guess that brings us to the other big rumor throughout this past week and it had nothing to do with the draft but it certainly took over much of the draft and that's Aaron Rodgers last year's MVP apparently wanting out of Green Bay Ross I'll get your thoughts first and then B you can go after that on what your take on that whole Aaron Rodgers situation in Green Bay well I, I think it's right from the jump I think it's a shame for the Green Bay Packers if that's how their elite quarterback feels about him I mean we saw last year Aaron Rodgers still has some some gas left in the tank and there's no doubt about it <clears throat> taking that Jordan Love pick early while it upset Rodgers here's my take on it Rodgers really shouldn't have been that upset about it because it's exactly how Rodgers came in the NFL himself he was taken fairly early while the Green Bay Packers still had Brett Favre with an idea that the future had to be addressed all quarterbacks need to understand, especially high-paid quarterbacks, that eventually their time will come and they will probably have to find a different team to play for, unless, of course, they're a lifer and that happens. There's guys that just spend their whole careers on certain teams like Big Ben. But the Packers took Jordan Love for a reason. They really liked his upside. They felt he was worth taking in the first round, especially to get that extra year of club control while they still had Rodgers on contract, so it didn't make it seem like it was just a waste of a first-round pick if he sat for a year or two and developed. Rodgers, in my opinion, is, is taking this overboard. I don't think that he's handling this the way that he should handle it. And if he ends up out of Green Bay, whoever gets him is going to get a guy who has a gigantic chip on his shoulder right now, and he's going to be dangerous. So if Green Bay needs to figure out something because the way this is going right now, it seems to be headed for a divorce. Yeah, and it's it's certainly looking messy because not only did they go defense again this year, 
but apparently over the last 10 drafts, nine of them, they've gone defense. And Aaron Rodgers is big on him to get his targets and get his guys on offense. So they go nine out of 10 on defense, and the one offense they go is his replacement. So he's obviously mad about that. And then that last year in the NFC Championship game, they took the ball out of his hands and decided to kick him. And he has every right to be pissed off. And they didn't look to him when they were hiring the coach. And he's just been mad since the get-go with this new coach. And it looks bad. It looks bad. And I don't know how many teams – I mean, obviously every team could use an Aaron Rodgers. But a lot of teams got their – in the draft. And I thought San Francisco's favorite to get Rodgers. But after drafting Trey Lance, I don't think that's going to happen. So what possibilities – or possible destination can you see him going? I know the Broncos might be the favorite right now, according to some people, but I don't know. I mean, the Broncos stand out right away, like you mentioned. Um, there, there just really, there really isn't a lot of options. I mean, how many teams at this stage are going to go? Hey, we're willing to mortgage our future to get a a, an, a quarterback who's reaching a certain age who won't be elite forever. That it, that it is very costly on contract as well. You know, how, how many teams are going to be willing to do that right now? And and there's just not a lot of fits like that in the NFL. Had this been two years ago or so, I think there'd have been a lot more options for him, honestly. But right now, uh, it, it's almost like the Broncos are bust, honestly. To me, to me, they have what it takes to get the job done, and they have the availability, the want, and the need to get it done. Um, I, I just don't know how many other teams out there are going to be going nuts to, to, like I said, mortgage their future for Aaron Rodgers. The Bears would have been one of them, but of course Green Bay isn't going to want to deal with that. They, they were one of the teams that needed it, but they got Trey Lance, of course, or, or uh, um, Justin Fields, of course. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, it's a really tough spot to be in. And when you're a quarterback in Aaron Rodgers' position and you start making these public displays of anger and frustration – you actually end up driving down your trade value. When G- NFL GMs know that a player simply is refusing to play for the team that he's on and he's willing to sit out, that lowers their trade value costs. So what he's doing right now is actually making it easier for the Broncos to get him if they really want to go that route. Yeah, that's a, all really great points, honestly. And, and if you're looking at Aaron Rodgers, you're like, okay, I want out. But then, yeah, where are you going? The Niners aren't going to do it. They did their due diligence. They went with Trey Lance. Trey Lance is our future. Jimmy Garoppolo is our presence. You can cancel that out. That leaves Denver, Vegas as two possible openings. Why the hell would you want to go to Vegas? The Raiders are a mess. They are nowhere near as good as what Green Bay is right now. I don't know why you would want to do that. Denver, I think you both made a really good case for that. I honestly think it's not a bad supporting cast you got there. But again, it's not better than what you have in Green Bay right now. So I don't really know what end game is for Aaron Rodgers is it retirement is it running it back with Green Bay is it trying to finish my career somewhere else I don't know this totally seems like a John Gruden type thing to do to sacrifice the future for Aaron Rodgers I would not be shocked at all but I think all in all when you when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay I will say this he has the right to be upset I think he should have been more professional in the sense when the Packers trade up to Jordan Love Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. You have to be professional when you exactly like Aaron Rodgers was in the same position when they drafted him when they had Brett Favre. At some point, this stuff happens and you just got to be professional about it. Aaron Rodgers went out and balled out last year. Having said that, I'll leave it out at this. Matt LaFleur bugs me in this situation. And I say that because... He comes out, and I know you got to do your own thing. You have your job, and when people ask you about it, you got to say, yeah, he's my guy, and he's my quarterback, and I want him here. But if you go out to the media and you say something like, Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the NFL, or not even the NFL, but the, the greatest of all time in my eyes, why in the hell wouldn't you rely on Aaron Rodgers, who if you're saying is the greatest quarterback of all time, on fourth and goal with a shot to go to the Super Bowl on the line? Because Mason Crosby could do it, but that wasn't to tie. That wasn't to win the game. That was to be down by five. Who cares if you're down by five with Tom Brady on the other side of the football field? That, to me, bugs me, and I don't blame Aaron Rodgers. I remember when they first hired Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers never really seemed sold on it. 
I can see how there might have been a bit of a rift there. And I don't blame Aaron Rodgers if you have a coach who's going out and saying that kind of stuff. But then he doesn't trust you with a game and a championship game on the line. I can't get around that either. But again, I don't really know what endgame is for Aaron Rodgers. I'm just not really sure what that is at this point. But this was a really great segment. Ross, you're welcome on anytime, man. This has been a great conversation. Any last thoughts before we end off the segment? Um, I think just to hit here on this last uh, subject that we were on, I think that it was important for you guys to bring up the Raiders just for the simple fact that, yes, Gruden makes those kind of wild moves. And and I'm not sold one bit that they trust Derek Carr. I'm not sold one bit. They say they do, but to go and get a guy like Mariota back-to-back seasons and offer him such such a large contract as a backup quarterback, I, I just I don't think they have any faith in Derek Carr. So, yeah, I agree. I could see the Raiders mortgaging their future completely to bring in Aaron Rodgers. I honestly would not be surprised at all knowing John Gruden. And it's ironic that they make these draft picks because Mike Mayock not long ago was the same guy doing all these mock drafts and he hasn't really done the greatest job in the NFL draft. But anyways, it's good entertainment for us, so it doesn't matter. But anyways, Ross, thank you again for joining us on the island again. Welcome anytime. And for those of you who are listening, don't forget to go and give the scoop on the U on YouTube a subscribe. Go and check them out. If you're a Hurricane football fan or even college football fan, go check them out. But thanks a lot, Ross. Thanks for the insight, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I had a great time, and, and I'd love to jump back on with you guys in the future for sure. Absolutely, man. Take it easy. You too. Always great having Ross on the show and our first guest on the island. Of course, again, don't forget to go check out the scoop on the U on YouTube as well for more Miami Hurricane and college football um, analysis. But B, we got another segment to get to here to finish off this episode. And as much as the Aaron Rodgers trauma was fun enough, the NBA has been quite the conversation over the past weekend and with just two weeks to go until the play in tournament stuff begins, there is a lot to get to. And you want to kick us off here with what's been going on in the past weekend? My God, where do we even start? We had three historic things happen. I mean, we're going to start off kind of in the order of when and Jason Tatum throwing up a 60 ball against the Spurs in a 32-point comeback, second youngest player to get 60 points, ties the Celtics' all-time record with Larry Bird dropping 60. And, um, yeah, the only younger dude to do it was Devin Booker, and he dropped 70. But to me, this Tatum one was way more impressive than Devin Booker's 70. Um, Just like that, it was crazy, great game. And then yesterday, we had two historic events happening. Russell Westbrook becoming, getting another 2020 game with rebounds and assists in a triple-double. He finished with 14 points, 21 rebounds, 24 assists. And some of those dimes he was having were, just made you shake your head. Wow. I don't know how you get 24 assists on that Washington team, but they're starting to roll right now on 14 out of the last 16. And then we had Carmelo Anthony puts his name in the top 10 all-time scoring list, passing Elvin Hayes, only 100 points away from Moses Malone. So he'll catch Moses Malone. He'll get up to nine on that list. So out of these three, which one stands out the most to you? Man, and I'll kick it off with Jason Tatum. It is crazy to me that Boston is in seventh place with the way Jason Tatum has played this season. Honestly, he's just been absolutely incredible to watch. And to me... That 60 points is is incredible. The guy's been balling out all year. You know, he hit 53 earlier this year. He had a he's had a bunch of 30 point games all season long. What Jason Jason Tatum is really hitting that point of almost elite status for me. Like he is showing up to be that guy in Boston. And it's been it's been quite an amazing, impressive leap to see him do that. And then Russell Westbrook, man. I mean, we knew we all know what Russell Westbrook's capable of. We all know what he can do, but Earlier in the season, Washington looked like complete garbage. And now they look incredible. Him and Bradley Beal are out here doing their thing, and they look well underway to be playing in the play-in tournament. 
they might even be the favorite. They look like they're most likely going to play Indiana in the first in the first game. They smacked them yesterday like it was absolutely nothing. So Russell Westbrook is it's been really impressive to see what he's been able to do and he dropped 42 against Dallas as well. It's been really impressive to see with Russell Westbrook. And then you know for Melo, I've always been a Melo guy. I know you've always been a Melo guy. I mean it's it's great to see him. I've loved seeing him in Portland these uh these last two years or so. So that was kind of cool to see as well. But I think the most impressive of the three, I got to say Jason Tatum. Yeah, I can't disagree. That game was special to watch. And it, throughout the first quarter, first half, oh my, oh my God. Another worst loss of the season for the Celtics. But that changed pretty quick. Changed pretty quick. But yeah, I, I definitely, I think I owe Westbrook an apology, man. I've been hating on this dude for long enough. It's just a stats guy, but everybody can get stats on a bad team, but nobody gets those stats on a bad team. And it's not, and he's making the team better, and it's different. It's not like he's a scrub putting up 30. No, these stats, you don't see these stats. It's different. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I don't think Russell Westbrook has ever been like that. I, I don't think there's ever been a time where I haven't liked Russell Westbrook. I've always liked him since his OKC days, and he's always been that guy. But I honestly think... I probably like Russell Westbrook more than I like James Harden as a basketball player. I think as a shooter, that's another conversation. But as an all-around player, I think Russell Westbrook just brings a lot more to the table, a lot more grit, a lot more fight to the table and what Russell Westbrook's able to do. And what he's doing with Washington right now is is, is really impressive what he's been able to do. And I guess we'll, we'll start with the East, really, and what the current standings are right now. So you got Philadelphia and Brooklyn at the top, Philadelphia has a one-game lead in first with just two weeks and about seven, eight games left in the regular season. You got Milwaukee, who had a big win against Brooklyn. How about Giannis? We shut out the other guys. Giannis dropping 49 against Brooklyn on Sunday. That was a heck of a performance. Milwaukee, I think, is slowly getting in the conversation to be a threat in the East. What's your what are, what are your quick, quick thoughts on the Bucks here? Like, Do you no, think right I, now, I, or do you, we got to wait? No, I love Milwaukee. I love them all year. They have two pickups that I really wanted for my team, and it's Drew Holiday and P.J. Tucker. Two dudes, like, their defense is elite. You have one through five, you can guard, like, elite defenders. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis, P.J. Tucker, and then Brooke Lopez is definitely serviceable. But did you see that block Giannis had on a KD jump shot? When do you ever see something yeah, like that? No, just disgusting. And and Giannis, for me, I've always liked Giannis. I'm not a Bucks fan, but I've always loved Giannis. I'd say I'm a Giannis fan. And honestly, I I would love the Bucks to make a run this year. The Raptors aren't in it, so I, don't, I ain't got to hate on Milwaukee. But I, I truly want this to be Giannis's opportunity. And I know, obviously, when you look on paper, sure, the team that has Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden, of course they're going to be the, the top candidate to represent the East in the NBA Finals on paper. But... Exactly. That is a whole other discussion. But also to say that I would rather just wait till the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't want to make predictions right now. Of course, they're the they're the if those guys are on the floor, of course. But right now, I'm saying no. I think Milwaukee. This is not a one and done game. This is a seven game gritty series here. They all and I think Philadelphia is another team that could also push Brooklyn for in that Eastern Conference Finals. I think it's really interesting. And the Knicks are, listen, I, I, do I, I think the Knicks are still very young and inexperienced. Do I think they're going to do many much damage? No. I think they can get to the second round. I don't know if they'll do that. But I will say this. I think the Knicks are going to be a tough out, though. Like, I, I think I'd probably say they'll maybe lose in maybe six games. Like, they are a really scrappy team with what they do. Same with Atlanta. They're a little scrappy. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the top five, and it looks you're like that those the, they're going to leave that New York series with some bruises, man. I, no, honestly, that it's a really interesting series there, and I think it will be a good series all in all with two teams that are fairly inexperienced as well. But then things get interesting. So you kind of got the top five kind of set in stone. Miami and Boston could change that; they could jump up to that five spot. It is still possible, but you now look ahead to the play-in picture here you got Miami sitting at the six with a one game lead over Boston who sits at the seven and then just below them you got Charlotte who sits two and a half behind Boston Indiana at the nine Washington which I think they're gonna get the 10 the Raptors sit three games behind Washington but I think as long as Washington keeps winning they are gonna take that 10 seed what kind of what kind of 
pops out to you when looking from seven through ten in the East right now? Man, I mean, to be honest, it's it's really I think everything's locked. You think we have our ten teams? It's just now the only thing for me is who's going to be in the seven seed. I could see a way in. Atlanta even drops to the seven seed. So I think Atlanta, Miami, and Boston are all in the mix for the five through seven spots. But other than that, it, it looks pretty concrete to me. And I think the Wizards will take out the Pacers. And who knows, LaMelo coming back for Charlotte. I don't know if you saw that pass he had, but man, LaMelo's special. He can lead. And I think they could actually rack up some wins here at the end this year. Fair. That's a good point. And I think Charlotte is a good team. And the fact that LaMelo's even back is so impressive. I mean, we all thought he was gone for the year for sure. And the fact that he's even back here and he's going to be playing in that play-in tournament for Charlotte is really impressive to watch. But I'm definitely with you. I think Boston or Miami could definitely catch the five. um, And Atlanta could definitely drop to the seven. I think Indiana-Washington will end up playing in that first-round play-in uh, game as well and I think that is kind of concrete there as well Charlotte I think they're still young and inexperienced they're really talented but I, I really don't Hayward, though. oh hey Hayward's been out I didn't even know that yeah oh that's damn then yeah fair fair enough that's true they were killing it earlier yeah see that's the thing man the injuries have just the injuries have really messed things up as a whole for the oh, NBA no, all year and... to my guy shout out to my guy with Rozier man Rozier low-key Top five clutchest players in the league. That dude has no fear. Yeah, nah, Terry is definitely a stud. I definitely with you on that. Boston has some ballers for sure. But yeah, no, that definitely killed Charlotte there. I didn't even know Hayward has been out though. Like I like I knew he's been out throughout the year, but I didn't know he was out right now. But that definitely hurts Charlotte. I mean, if Charlotte's not healthy, they're young, they're inexperienced, but I don't think they would beat a Miami or Boston team. But then again, if they lose, they're they they're playing a second game. So It'll be interesting to see you in the East. I don't think there's too much intrigue, but I'd say the intrigue kind of lies um, five through seven. And then I think the intrigue would be if Washington gets the eight, do we think if they can if they can try and push and extend a series with Brooklyn or Philly? I think they could. It'd be really interesting to see that happen, but I'm looking forward to see how that goes. But majority of the intrigue comes in the West. This is where things get Crazy interesting. So you got Utah and Phoenix who are going to be competing for the one spot. Utah currently is a half game up on Phoenix. One of those two teams is going to get the one. Most likely the other one's going to get the two. You got Denver and the Clippers sitting squarely tied for third, both sitting at 43 and 22. And then you got the Lakers at the five who are six games behind the Clippers. So most likely it looks like the top four seeds are set. Lakers at five. Dallas is behind them just by a half game. And then Portland is a game behind the Lakers, half a game behind the Mavericks at seven. Warriors, eight. Grizzlies, nine. San Antonio, 10. This is such an interesting discussion. What are your thoughts with five through 10 in the West? Well, first of all, I want to I wanna start at the top. I want to go with the Phoenix Suns because I've been pretty high on the Phoenix Suns. I've been higher on Phoenix than I have about been about the Jazz. I think the reason the Jazz won so many games is just because they've played together longer and they've, for the most part, avoided people sitting out. And I think they've kind of padded their record. But I want to pay attention to this Phoenix run. This They had this brutal stretch of games, right? So they, they beat Milwaukee. This is all on the road, first of all. So they beat Milwaukee. They beat the Sixers. They lose to the Celtics, lose to the Nets, beat the Knicks. So five playoff teams in a row, then they beat the Clippers, and then they destroy the Jazz. So seven real quality teams, and they went five and two in that on back-to-backs, two and three nights. So that was super impressive. Five out of those seven on the road. Those Milwaukee-Philly games. Those Milwaukee-Philly games were mad. No, for real. And I I definitely think they're the better team over Utah, and they showed it the other day. Um, But yeah, other than that, I want to... I'm going to let you go because I got, I got a rant about LeBron after. Oh, absolutely. I want to talk about the Lakers too more than any of these teams. But um, I'll finish up with uh, with Phoenix though. I think if they get the one seed, I think it's almost a given that Monty Williams should win coach of the year. I don't know. Him and Thibs have been really, you know, close, you know, locked up for that coach of the year. Both of them have done an absolutely outstanding job bringing teams that have been struggling for the past decade 
up back to prominence. But I think if Phoenix is the number one seed with all of these stacked teams in the West, I think you got to go to Phoenix. Or it's no, got to go to Monty Williams. He's a lot. Yeah, he's it's, a lot. yeah, I think if New York being in fourth is still very, very impressive. But in the Western Conference, it's so much more competitive. And to be the one seed, and I don't think, what's it been, like an 11 or 12-year drought for Phoenix? Like, that's incredible. Incredible stuff what Monty Williams has done in Phoenix. But to the Los Angeles Lakers, yeah, this is a really, really interesting topic here as it looks like the highest they would get is the five seed. So they're not going to get home court as as much as it looks like it right now. So if they get the five, we don't know where the Clippers, the Clippers could end at three or four. So the Lakers could end up playing the Clippers in the first round. Bro, that would be insane. This is a matchup that we all thought would be Western Conference final material, and there's a pretty decent chance that they could play in the first round would just be absolute madness but the Lakers are such an interesting team because with LeBron James in there healthy even even 80 or 90 percent healthy for me I'm a a big LeBron guy I still like the Lakers I would still favor the Lakers but they are playing really disoriented right now they do not look in sync at all AD's just coming back LeBron's in and out Schroeder's now out for the next two weeks it is I don't even know what's going on. It is a disoriented mess for the Lakers, and they don't have much time to figure it out because if they fall to seven, they got to play in that playing game against Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. So, or my bad, that would actually be Steph Curry and the Warriors in that first round. Oh my goodness, that would be something, wouldn't it? But you got you got some stuff on LeBron to get off your chest, so I'll let you go. Man, so no, not only that, but if they could play a bunch of these teams, like imagine you're Utah and you're Phoenix and you've had such a great year and you have to play the Lakers in round one. Or if you're the Nuggets who've won nine out of their last 11 games and Michael Porter Jr.'s falling out in the absence of Jamal Murray, like you get rewarded by playing the Lakers in the first round, which is any of them. Any of any of those four teams could play the Lakers in the first round. That's like, how is that? That's not a reward for having a great season like that. But what I want to say is, is to be honest, the, the Lakers kept the ship alive to me. Seven and nine without LeBron and Anthony Davis, which is, you can't really ask for much more than that. They still have the number one defense in the league. You can't really ask for much more than that. But to me, I was never really an Anthony Davis fan. And I think he's, he's, since him and LeBron have been back, they've lost three games in a row. Last two games to the Clippers, or sorry, the Kings and to the Raptors, right? And we've heard Lakers fans all year being, wait till they come back, wait till they come yep. back. And then you lose to those two teams. And not only lost, okay, that, that Raptors game looked a lot closer. The final score looked a lot closer than it actually was because Lowry and Siakam combined for almost Went off. Shout out and to K-Low and they, Spicy P, man. They just... They destroyed Anthony Davis and, and LeBron. And for LeBron to say, LeBron kind of did, this is like the old Serena Williams trick, is when you kind of leave the game and just put on an injury. And I don't think it, I don't I honestly think he's just shutting it down because now he's missing the next three games. Because of that injury, I think he's just shutting it down. He's saying he's never going to be back to 100%, which, but it's an ankle injury. I don't know how you can say that. And it really reminds me of his first year in LA when they were like just around 528 and 27. And then LeBron hurt his groin and then he came back and they were like 11th behind the Timberwolves. And he's like, yo, I'm activating playoff mode. And then they went two and six and then he shut it down. And he's like, yo, my groin's not right. And he just shut it down. So this is just like, for me, it's just a recurring thing with LeBron. Every time he starts losing or something starts not going his way, even in the finals that year when he got swept, comes out in his, his post game with a, a wrist cast. And he's just like, to me, it's just always an excuse. I don't believe that his ankle's sore, so he has to sit out an extra four games. I think he's just calling it in. Fair enough. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a decent take, honestly. I've never really looked at it that way, but... For me, when it comes to LeBron, and I will I will give him the benefit of the doubt with the ankle because what he had was a high ankle sprain, not just any ankle sprain. And high ankle sprains are 
usually a lot worse than an ankle sprain. And I can't imagine what it's like in basketball because I remember when Jimmy Garoppolo got his high ankle sprain early, I was like, well, what the hell is the difference between a high ankle sprain and a regular ankle sprain? And I looked it up and it really hinders your mobility. Like, you know, you could probably like, obviously football and basketball are two different things, but that's why I'm using the comparison, right? Garoppolo being a quarterback, you don't have to run a lot, right? You just, you know, stand in the pocket, try your best to stay up and make a throw. Basketball, that's not the case. You got to go coast to coast, all game, back and forth. And LeBron is in his late 30s. So I don't blame him for being like, this is a problem and I can't be that. Having said that, to your point, you are LeBron goddamn James. You are the best NBA player of this generation, one of the best NBA players of all time. Who gives a you-know-what if you have a high ankle sprain with two weeks left in the playoffs? You know what I'm saying? Take a few games off, get your you-know-what back on the court, and ball out. That's what that's what I would I wouldn't make excuses. And I know what you're saying. We're like he's making excuses. You're LeBron James. Be out there, tough it out, and do what you can. But I also give him the benefit of the doubt. When you're late in your career and you have an injury like that, yeah, it's 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 gonna bother you. And that's why I'm worried about the Lakers. Because if LeBron's not healthy, I don't know. Would I take a 80 or 90% LeBron James out there over 100 percent Absolutely, because he's LeBron James. But I st- I'm with you. I don't like the making excuses thing. You know, we're getting closer and closer to the playoffs. What happens? You got a high ankle sprain. Listen, if you cannot run, cannot play at all, and you you literally, it's hurting and it's hindering you that badly that you cannot play, cool, you, right? The, the Lakers are going to be done in the first round then. But, and I think LeBron knows that too. But if you're in the first round of the playoffs and you're playing the Clippers and LeBron can walk a little bit, he can run a little bit, he can try you best know you got to be out there toughing it out for your team. And I know LeBron will. I would be shocked if he isn't out there, if he can move around. So it'll be very interesting to see. I'm very, very excited to see how this next two weeks play out and where these teams land. But go go ahead, finish your thought. To, to me, I look at it this way. And I'm comparing him to one of Kobe's later years. And this dude was dinged up like crazy, missed so much time. And then they, he had, when he activated playoff mode, he carried that team on his back. Yes, he all did. All of his injuries and so much that he tore his Achilles, and then that was the end of it for him. But I mean, like, you see a guy like that talking about wearing the same jersey as you see this LeBron James, and it's just like, oh my, oh my God. Like, I don't, it really, and then for him to go and say last year when he was like, oh yeah, I think uh, eight, nine, and 10 should fight it out and have a play in. And then now that, you might be in the mix of the play and you're going to be like, no, nah, that's trash. And whoever came up with that needs to be fired. I'm like, bro, you weren't saying that last year. You're sounding a little weird. Yo, say no more, man. That That is the perfect way to end this to end this episode, man. Yeah, I could have not said that better myself, man. Say that with authority, man. You were, you were, LeBron James, you were playing for the Los Angeles Lakers and you have got to embody that Mamba mentality. You are bang- on with that Kobe Bryant worked his ass off every single time blood sweat and tears when he's on that court LeBron needs to embody some of that Mamba mentality he did it last year mentally not necessarily physically because last year was a mental toll dealing with the bubble and all that this year you gotta bust your butt physically get on get on that court hopefully the Lakers can hold it down right now but he's got to make sure he's back there and try to avoid the play and I don't I the thing is, do I think the Lakers would be fine? I would rather be safe, have a few days off to rest and avoid that play-in, or else you got to play Steph Curry in a play-in game. Hey, That's man, not Steph good. Steph, you know, we know what Steph can do in one game. You don't want to put that up. To hey, the- Steph, Steph, Steph is a bad is a bad man, man. I would I would want to avoid that altogether. So if I'm Braun, come back even if it's for like three, four games. Win, go three and one in those four. Make sure you're safe in the five or six seed and avoid that playing. Then you can sit, you know, you get a four, four, five day rest before the first round starts. But dude, at this point in the season, that's not a little dinged up. You got to be able to play. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But man, that's an, I'm, I'm fired up now after, after that, man, I, I cannot wait starting next week. And as we keep getting into later in May, the NBA playoffs, Going to get started. Can't wait to find out where these teams land in terms of seedings. I cannot 
wait for that. And we'll see you next week where these where, where these teams are at. But before we wrap up this last episode or this this last few minutes of this episode, B, any final thoughts? Uh, finally, this dreadful regular season saw a little bit of history this past week so uh, hopefully it carries on man hopefully it carries on yeah i feel that man i'm just waiting for these two weeks to to wrap up and, and get these playoffs underway man i need some i need some entertainment going on right now but that'll do it for this week's episode of baller island don't forget to go check us out on instagram and twitter for more sports news and analysis and we'll be right back at it next week so until then have a good week and we will see you Next week, right back here on Baller Island. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Baller Island. Keep it locked because we got a lot more content coming your way. And of course, don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter for more sports news and analysis.